Welcome to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Probing the Wormhole with me, Malika, your Stargate newbie, and my co hosts, Rose, super fan of Stargate, and Sam, also a super fan of Stargate. Today, we're going to be talking about episode 17 Solitudes. I understand that everybody's excited, minus me, about this being a super shipper episode. Uh, And we'll get to that in a second. But I would like to firmly come out and say, I don't find this a shipper episode. Come at me, you two. (laughs) Well, I think of this as the first like definitive shipper episode. What do you think, Sam? I would disagree with you, Malika. I also know that this this episode created a lot of fan fiction. Like people watched this episode and then went back immediately back to their computers and started writing fan fiction about Sam and Jack. Yeah, and that <laughs> sidearm that he had there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I still, okay. every time I watch it, I still have questions. Like, is that actually his gun or? <laughs> you no, know, me too. I'm like, are they implying he actually had an erection? And she just sort of impressive. about it? He didn't. He he was bleeding internally, had a broken leg, and was dying from hypothermia. I guarantee. Do you think he couldn't get it up? And that's that there was no blood in that region. But that's the power of Jack and Sam. <laughs> that combination results in an erection during freezing temperatures. I'm just saying, during almost all of this, I pictured instead of Carter, if it's Daniel, because O'Neill and Daniel have a very tight relationship. So I w- <laughs> if Daniel was laying on top of O'Neill for body heat, he, da- I can see Daniel saying, is that a sidearm? But okay. in that case, it would have actually been a sidearm. I know there's plenty of slashers out there that would disagree with me. But also when you're cold, your body wants to warm itself up and sex is a great way to warm itself up. I, you know, I have to say, when I, I watched Alive, that movie where they crash in the Andes and they have to eat each other, which we'll get into in a second, but I didn't hear anything about boners. I'm just saying. <laughs> Hypothermia, all your blood, that's the reason why you lose your toes and your fingers and your nose, because all your blood goes to your, your trunk and to your internal organs to keep you alive. Now your penis is not an internal organ. I'm going to Google, can you get a boner when suffering from I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying I don't think so. I've never heard of frostbite in someone's penis. Probably because it shriveled up, like just like their balls into their (laughs) abdominal cavity. Remember how guys are always like, it's cold and everything shrunk? (laughs) Yeah. Saying it's not going to be a sidearm. That's all I'm saying. It might be like a mushroom but it's not going to be a sidearm because he needs that blood. We will have more to say when we get to that part. 
So then let's talk about how we start out. We start out actually in the gate room and there's alert that there's an incoming traveler and through the wormhole comes Tilk and Daniel thrown from the top of the gate and fall in, onto the ramp. And there's no Carter or O'Neill. So they said that the gate was drawing a lot of power. I thought the gate is powered by the outgoing wormhole gate. So that didn't make sense. Well, but later on, I think it was Daniel said that it was probably the energy weapons that were being shot at them on the other planet that created the extra energy and the created the malfunction. So when they say that it's the gate is drawing twice as much power as usual, they were referring to the gate, the power on the other side. That that's was what I'm yeah. Okay. That was my thought. What about you, Sam? Well, it's no, that's a good theory. It, it's amazing that this hasn't happened before. Like, haven't right. they been shot at many times? Right. It must have been a hell of a lot of weapons all at once. So then we are in some kind of ice cave, and <laughs> Carter wakes up. Next scene. <laughs> <laughs> Well, is this where you can see what the the whoosh did to the cave walls? Oh, is that that hole? Yeah, that That's was that hole. hole. That hole was like perfect whoosh shape. <laughs> Good eye, Sam. That's probably because you're watching it on Blu-ray. <laughs> yep, me and my Blu-ray. <laughs> so we're in the infirmary and Daniel is unconscious. Of course he is. And he just lazy, wants to get in some naps. And Hammond is talking to Tilk. And of course, Tilk wants to go immediately to rescue uh, Carter and O'Neill. And Hammond's like, no, and runs out of the room. So this is, you know, Hammond throughout this episode is kind of like, I mean, like we were talking about last, I think it was either Karai or the one after. Like there are times Hammond's just like, no, I'm not letting you do that. And um, even if it means rescuing people, and this is one of them, and SG1 basically just ignores him every time. Well, I think Hammond's like, I'm just not going to give you carte blanche to do whatever. Like, come to me with something rational and I'll let you do it, right? right. But I think even if he if he said no, Tilk and Daniel would have been like, okay, next planet. Okay, next planet. Yeah. <laughs> they do what they want to do. So then we're back at the ice cave. These <laughs> scenes are like so fast. <laughs> And we find out that O'Neill is hurt. He's broken his leg. And Carter thinks that possibly Daniel had misdialed Earth. But that doesn't explain why they're not there. And of course, she can't find the DHD yet. So they're in trouble. They're in trouble. And of course, O'Neill's not very helpful because he's broken. And then we're back in the base. <laughs> and they're trying to fix the gate. And the engineer is like, we need 24 hours. Hammond's like... We need to do it in 12. He's like, no, 24. And Ham was like, okay. <laughs> so I thought this was a dig at Star Trek, right? Because you know, in Star Trek, especially TNG, they're always like, you know, how long until you get the warp drive up and running? And they're always like, I need a day. And the captain's like, get it done in half that. And they were like, yes, sir. And then they do it in half that, which makes no sense because like you can be the best engineer in the world and things just take as long as I fucking take, right? Um, so I thought this was like kind of a dig at that. Is this where we first meet Siler? Okay. Yeah. Also, this is Siler. Siler becomes a recurring character. And I think the actor who plays him is actually the stuntman on the show or one of the stuntman's men. Stuntman's one of the stuntmen. <laughs> oh, yeah. For RDA, I think. Yeah. For 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 O'Neill. Um, mm -hmm. So he's just like a 
tech sergeant fix it guy who does all this stuff. I think he's always like later on, he'll always be seen holding this ridiculously large wrench too. Not yeah. in this episode, but just later, you'll see him holding this huge wrench. And you know, yeah. Later on. Siler. Siler's great. So then we're back at the ice cave. <laughs> Carter's resetting O'Neill's leg. Lots of little quips. And I, I understand what Carter's doing what, by trying to get O'Neill to talk. But I also think that this kind of sets up O'Neill, more of his backstory, which I appreciated. So he's talking about the times that he had broken lots of bones parachuting and how he had to, with broken bones, get out of that area because nobody was coming to rescue him. And he says that the only thing that got him through was thinking about Sarah, his now ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is where we learned that he is probably divorced from Sarah, right? Wasn't he already divorced? I don't know. We, he never actually said my ex-wife, but so it, like, until this episode. So after Claude Lazarus, this is the first time we hear of Sarah and it's clear she's no longer in the picture. Right. Also, you know, this rings back to the whole like damn distasteful things. Now we're kind of getting a sense of what those distasteful things might've been. If you're doing like sort of covert parachuting operations into Iran and Iraq, probably doing some other stuff. How long was he on his own? Did he say five days? Three days. Three, oh, three days. That's nothing, <laughs> three days. But he had, to, he had to rescue himself. Nobody was coming for him. And then we learn later, I think soon, about other times he was captured in Iraq. Right. Right. Do we already do that? <laughs> no, we didn't do that. Yeah, that that's, that's fine. I don't remember if that's, I think that must be season two. Yeah, well, and then we learn about something else, like his prison time too. Yeah, yeah, right. He like went to Iraqi prison for like four months. I mean, it's not like a spoiler. It just You just find this little tidbit. But he he's done some shit for the US government that we probably, being the people that we are, the, the socialists that we are, would probably not approve of all that much. I like a military man who doesn't get captured. <laughs> yeah, okay. fuck you, John McCain. <laughs> I have no problem with John McCain. In the end, he wasn't the worst person in the room. I did like that he said he told the family not to invite Trump to his funeral. I thought that was awesome. Like the ultimate, like last fuck you. So Daniel wakes up and he, that's when he finds out that he has a mission to, to take care of and he needs to figure out where Carter and O'Neill are. Well, why are they so sure that they made it through the wormhole, right? Like they obviously went through first and O'Neill and Sam were behind them. Isn't it possible that they were shot and fell down? I guess you, I, you can't see your, all your particles have turned into separate particles. I don't know. Right. And you are just like a mass of particles. <laughs> Can you tell that I really paid attention? In science? <laughs> so there's no way that once you, you enter the gate that you could look back and see. No, behind unless, you, unless you saw them all going through at the same time. But the, the implication is they were like right behind them. And then the gate, the wormhole jumped in that like millisecond. Right. So, I mean, I guess it's, to, 
I guess they reasonably thought they all made it to the gate together, but I just don't know. Like there's doesn't seem to be any doubt with Teal'c and Daniel that they made it through the gate. And I think there should be some doubt. Well, actually, if you think about it, what if they're all running? I mean, when they fall through the gate, they seem like they're coming at a great speed, right? So if they're all running and if they were like one second behind, even if they got shot, their dead body would go through the yeah. gate. I guess so. Yeah. Sam, do you have any thoughts about particles? So, well, okay. So those, those particles, the purple and pink particles that we see when they go through the gate, they don't see that. That's just for our benefit, right? <laughs> the yeah, I don't think they can see their eyes are dematerialized. How can they yeah. see There's no eyeballs. There's just like <laughs> particles. I think, I think you must go through the gate. Like it takes, I don't know, a couple seconds to transport and then you like get rematerialized. I think those couple seconds you're just like blacked out, right? Okay. I don't I think you so. experience the gate. You don't have a brain. I mean, it's just it's mush. It's, yeah. it's like your your sidearm uh, particle is is right next to your toenail particle, right? <laughs> so we're in back in the ice cave and Carter finds the DHD. And it's very doom and gloom about rescue party, living for another second. Just, she is the Debbie Downer of this episode. <laughs> and this is, is this when O'Neill's like captain and like makes her be optimistic. Mm-hmm. He's very positive for somebody who's suffering internal bleeding and <laughs> literally dying before our eyes. I think this shows him as a good leader. Because even when right. he's laying down on the ground bleeding, he's still trying to raise her spirits. Right, because you wouldn't think of O'Neill generally as sort of a ray of sunshine kind of personality, but he is he is good at not letting people get so bleak that they don't fight. Right, because if she stayed in that mindset, she wouldn't dig as fast. She wouldn't be thinking about how we're going to get out of here. She would just be like, let's just lay down together and die. <laughs> how romantic, <laughs> isn't it? So I think we should like, so, okay, aside from the shipperness of it, this, I just love this, that O'Neill and Carter get this time to like be together <laughs> and like d- develop their relationship as like friends and more than friends. And colleagues, friends, colleagues, colleagues and lovers. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> like, it's like, oh my God, you guys suck so hard. <laughs> when we get there, I'm going to make my argument for the anti-shipper yeah yeah just for this episode i'm not saying that i don't want them to be together we'll get there (laughs) so so we're back in the gate room the gate is fixed they send a probe through and this is when we see the planet that they had they had been visiting which is kind of deserty rocky and lots of ray guns shooting towards the the gate and ham is like okay i'm done we're, we're done. Rescue mission terminated. And okay. And also, okay. So they say, okay, there's no sign of their remains. Fine. But it's been a while. Wouldn't they have moved their remains? Or it could have been captured too. Yeah. Yeah. Because remember it, it's, we're like the next day because they said it was going to take at least 24 hours to fix it. So they just send the probe through and look around a little bit. Nobody is done. And then we're back at the ice cave. <laughs> <laughs> and O'Neill's making some food, which is nice to see. It's nice to see um, 
a man in the kitchen. Is it food or is it just melted ice? <laughs> it he said, doesn't he say something like, I make the best melted ice? <laughs> hey, I'll take what I can get. Exactly. And Sam is going through the different ways that the malfunction could have happened. Of course, she doesn't land on what actually happens, but she does, she does deduce that they're probably pretty close to earth. So she does guess what happens. She just doesn't follow the, the logic through, right? right? She just doesn't make the leap that Daniel makes. Right. So then we're in the boardroom and Daniel and Tilk are trying to figure out what was happening. So Daniel all of a sudden is all sciencey figuring shit out. Usually anything sciencey Sam does, no matter how unrelated it is to her field, anything social sciencey Daniel does, no matter how unrelated to his field. And when one of them is unavailable, the other one takes on that role. That's always really realistic. <laughs> also, aren't there other scientists that work there? Is it just Sam? And when she's out of commission, like nobody is there to figure this shit out. Seems like we need a new hire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, maybe a department. They're all working on the Stargate, right? Yeah, but wouldn't those people be good to bring in and be like, hey, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like, Siler's like, yeah, I think it must have discharged somewhere. I'm like, you don't have a team of like world-class scientists working on this thing? Right. It's the military, so no. <laughs> I appreciate Daniel doing all this work, but it felt a little bit above him. <laughs> I mean, he, he correctly guesses so many things in this. And I can, I can, I can say that I believe if Sam was in this position and Daniel was in the ice cave, which we'll talk about in a second, but I do believe that Sam would have worked this out and it would have made sense that Sam could have worked this out, but Daniel, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. So then we're back at the ice cave. And Sam is digging in the ice, trying to dig out the DHD. And she sees something and she says it's a frozen serpent guard. It looked like a frozen Jaffa under the ice, right? I think it was supposed to be attached to Ra, right? Because Ra has the serpent guard. I thought the Apophis was the serpent, but it's, but it's a Jaffa, right? Working for one of these guys. Right. But like, so... I wasn't quite sure what the implication was. Like, how long has that Jaffa been there? Is the idea that this gate came first, got sealed off, and then Ra put his gate and took it away, or that these gates were somehow working simultaneously? Once Ra took, sealed off the gate 5,000 years ago, other Goulds brought this other gate? I thought that Tilk said later in the episode that there's usually only one gate. And when that gate is no longer is buried or malfunctioning or just doesn't work anymore, that's when they put the new gate on. So I was thinking that this gate has been broken, mostly broken for a long time or buried. And then they brought Ra's gate. Right. But then they also implied that after, because finally remember how we always say like how come nobody's mentioning the fact that the mongols were on earth like a thousand years ago not five thousand years ago finally they had daniel mentions is like oh we, you know we found these civilizations that have were moved after we thought the gate was lost so the implication is they were using the second gate to move those other people and like the vikings too so it's it, unclear if, if this was before the first gate, after the first gate, different periods throughout history. Did they find it and then lose it again? Unclear. So I, I, I interpreted as this serpent guard was there for 
a very, very long time. It seemed like this was the first date. Also because it's on Antarctica. Nobody lives on Antarctica, but I think, you know, the geo history of Earth, it wasn't always frozen. Right. So it makes sense that that would be the first gate. I think that was the first gate. But then how are the Vikings going through it <laughs> or the Mongols going through it? Like to, to make Daniel's explanation make sense, it had to be active after this, the other gate was removed. So we're back in the boardroom and Tilk is particularly frowny. I think he really wants to get out there and go to the different planets. And Daniel is telling Hammond that they need to search a certain area. So he's already figured out that during the jump, they must have jumped someplace close to Earth. And so he's giving Hammond, these are the areas that we need to search, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Sam comes to that same conclusion, I think. Yeah. Well, I think, and she came to that conclusion earlier. Maybe they're linked telepathically. Carter and Daniel because it just doesn't seem like Daniel should be this smart about science stuff about science like pure science science yeah so we're back in the ice cave and Sam has uncovered the DHD and this is when we find out that O'Neill is coughing up blood which means that he's having internal bleeding and he admits that a rib is probably cracked Carter can't get the DHD working, but O'Neill is a cheerleader to the absolute end. It's like um, those, I, I watch a lot of old Victorian stuff from England and you have somebody who's like rah, 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 and then they cough and into a, a tissue and it's just blood because they're dying of tuberculosis. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be dead within the hour. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, go on without me. <laughs> so we're in the boardroom and the team is searching. And then we're back in the ice game. Is this when they're resting together? Yes. <laughs> Her body heat. So we did touch on this. <laughs> Does he have a boater? <laughs> Well, you looked it up. Yeah, Reddit is not a great source of information. I don't think for anything. I just think that that is unnecessary use of blood. <laughs> you are dying of hypothermia. That's all. That's I don't I don't care what the internet says. That I am sticking to that. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. He just woke up, right? And she was, I don't know if she was asleep, but she said, you passed out right? They have about a two minute conversation. Again, dying of hypothermia. He he has a broken leg and he has probably multiple uh, broken ribs. Is that a boner likely? She's really hot. (laughs) You just have to make this happen. I'm trying to make this boner happen. And Malik is like, really a boner killer you have to believe in the power of jack of jack (laughs) o'neill i am just saying that if this was if this was daniel (laughs) daniel would be he would also be laying on him for body heat knowing daniel daniel probably take off all his clothes too (laughs) and they both be laying naked because daniel has no boundary would not be laying naked with daniel daniel might be laying naked on top of him (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's not a boner. It's a sidearm. 
the so if, if it's not a if it's not as boner it actually is just as gun is it appropriate for O'Neill to have said it's just my sidearm right this was obviously not, a boner joke yeah nothing else that's not appropriate <laughs> he's dying Sam cut him slack <laughs> I mean she thinks it's funny and she's not offended by it but this yeah. whole thing I mean joke like at this point, and this is a very shippy episode, but she's his, you know, he's her superior officer and they're like lying on top of each other, joking about boners. It seems like a very familiar moment between these two people. But I mean, his whole point is to keep her spirits up, right? And he he's good at quips and jokes and- Yeah, I don't think he'd play fast and loose with the sex jokes with his subordinate, female subordinate. But he it's did. Good. It's a good line. <laughs> He did because he was actually attracted to her and actually had a boner. <laughs> and he had to like make a joke to lighten the moment. Yeah. That's what, yeah, I think that's a good point that if he wasn't a boner, he would not have said that. That's why I believe in the boner. I, I believe in the boner too. And you know, it's just a physical reaction. You can't always control it. That's what I've heard. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are... I do see your point, Malika, that given his injuries... You think his blood has other things that should be focused on? <laughs> you guys can't convince me. Why? There's an article in Women's Health Mag called Why Petuses Don't Like the Cold. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. Die, both of them are dying of hypothermia. So, okay, I, I know that you're really interested in this scientific aspect of this. Apparently, you can expect penis a penis to shrivel by, a, by about 50% in length and 20 to 30% in girth when you're exposed to any air, t- air temperature below 60 degrees. What if he's a shower, not a grower? <laughs> so, even, okay, let's, let's pretend that O'Neill has a very large penis. If it shrinks by 50%, it's not going to be the side of, size of a sidearm. I'm just saying. So let's say it's like 14 inches and it shrinks to size. <laughs> That's still pretty noticeable. It just has to be big enough to be noticeable. If it was 14 inches, it would definitely break off because of frostbite. (laughs) This is definitely, this article is definitely supporting Malika's opinion that there was no boner. So massive shrinkage is what he would have here. Not a boner. Not a boner. But okay, you guys. (laughs) I understand that the desire is strong for boners in the ice cave but (laughs) so then we flash back to the control room and they're still searching and then we're back in the ice cave (laughs) and it turns out that carter can't fix hd she says that she's been working on the control panel for 12 hours. She's exhausted. She's really down. And this is when O'Neill brings up plan B, which is leave him to die. Well, I have a question. So why doesn't she try another address? I have the same question, right? Like when you have a, like when your computer doesn't work and you're not sure if it's the computer or the mouse or the keyboard, you try one thing and if it doesn't work, you try the next thing, right? So what you, you change the variable to find out what exactly is not working. Is it the DHD? Is it the gate? Is it whatever? And she doesn't think to do that. And that's very unlike her. I mean, it's possible she might not have known the address. No, she knows the address. I think, I think they know the address of like everything they've ever been to. 
At least know. I think she would at least know one address. So, do you think that she was? What's the head canon then? Is she suffering from some head trauma? Is, is she just trying so hard to rescue her lover that she, she she's blinded by the obvious solution? What is it? I mean, I think I, I think she it just didn't occur to her that they were on Earth, and, and which makes sense, you know, like because she doesn't have the benefit of Daniel's the thing that led, leads Daniel to his conclusion, which is a bit of a stretch in the first place. So why would she ever think that? And if it's, they're not on earth, there's no reason why dialing earth wouldn't work. I still think she, I still think that she would have, because maybe there was a problem with the earth gate also, and it couldn't connect to the earth gate. Cause we've seen that happen before where you, like, if there's a problem with the other gate, you can't connect. That doesn't mean your gate's wrong. It means the other gate's wrong. So that, that still doesn't make sense. I still think she would have tried another address. Yeah. But, you know, she's probably also suffering for, from hypothermia. And exhaustion. And exhaustion. Yeah. So plan B is for Carter to leave O'Neill there, take all the equipment, and climb out. And, of course, she says no, that she's going to keep working on it. We're back in the gate room, and Tilk is coming through the gate, and he's carrying somebody, one of the other soldiers, and Hammond, again... I'm calling the search off. Feels like uh, Hammond is a little defeatist. He does like to call searches off. But everyone's coming back all bloody. What, he, he fell off a cliff, right? This guy just fell off a cliff. Like, look where you're walking. <laughs> Nobody shot him. <laughs> Those cliffs are dangerous. <laughs> does it, was the cliff moving? <laughs> Maybe it was dark. Maybe it was like a nighttime planet. Do the search the daylight then. <laughs> So finally, uh, we get some movement on, in the ice cave. Carter resets the DHD and there's a quake. And in the gate room, there's also a quake. What did you guys think of that? What, like Daniel's whole, there's a quake, so it must be that there's an earth gate? It's a bit of a stretch. I mean, we did talk about Daniel's tendency to like make these ridiculous sweeping conclusions that always turn out to be right, but that no logical person would make that leap. Right. So my question is, is it that if one gate is vibrating, it creates vibration in the other gate? I think yeah. there's something about them both being so close together that when one tries to dial the other, it makes them both shake. Cause it's like, it can't like, it, it's trying to make the wormhole, but it can't cause they're too close together. Okay. And that's when Daniel says that they ruled out one, one world. And that's when we find out that the one world that they ruled out was earth. Did you guys figure it out? Or Malika, did you figure that out before it was revealed? No, no. Rose, no. Not yeah. In, yeah, not until at that point, I didn't. When um, he, when Daniel actually was telling Hammond that he thinks that it's on earth, then I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I actually thought they did a good job with that reveal because it really didn't, it wasn't, they, they really did a good job of hiding the ball there. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was just such a huge leap that nobody saw it coming. So we're in the ice cave again, and O'Neill really pushes plan B. And he says that he's absolutely dying, and he tells Carter to save herself. And she packs everything up and starts to climb. But first, she won't leave him. Of course not. He is very sad about leaving him. And he calls her Sam. He says, Sam, follow my order. There's a lot of tender moments here. 
I'm just saying if it was Daniel, he would have said the same thing. It's not the same. It's not the same. And one reason is because he doesn't call her Sam for a long time after this. Am I right about that? I think so. And listen, I, I, I appreciate the relationship between O'Neill and Daniel. I think it's very deep and loving and all that, but it's not the same as his relationship with Sam. I think there's like a particular, and also her response to him was just like, so like, no, I don't want to leave you. I don't know that Daniel would have the same reaction. I think he'd be like, all right, I'll report back. See you later. No, I think Daniel probably would have just laid down next to O'Neill because I still believe that Daniel has a death wish. <laughs> or definitely a Daniel Jack shipper. It's all coming out now. <laughs> so we're in the control room and this is when Daniel is telling Hammond that the other gate is actually on earth. And that's when we find out that Tilk says that if one, one gate is broken or malfunctioning or doesn't work, that Gould will put a new gate on that planet. Yeah, and we finally get some explanation for that, the timeline issues that we've had right. after a full season. Then we're in the ice cave again, and O'Neill tells Carter that it was an honor serving with her. Oh. Mm. So where did they, did they film this? Because she looks genuinely cold when she climbs out of that cave. Like, she looks freezing. So when she emerges from that crevasse, it was in uh, British Columbia. So that is a the winter? cold place. Yeah. And when they're in this on the set inside the hole, I I know it was cold, which is one reason why Amanda Tapping played that gag on RDA, because RDA is from the cold. He's from Minnesota. Minnesota, yeah, yeah. And he was like, "It's not cold, guys. It's only negative thirty degrees." <laughs> but, but I didn't see any when they breathed out. I didn't see any vapor, or whatever it's called. I did. There was, yeah, yeah. I saw okay. on my Blu-ray. Uh, no, I saw it on Netflix even. Okay. So then we are back in the control room and we're looking for radio transmissions all across the, the globe, seismic activity. And that's when we find out that Carter was using the gate and created like a busy signal type incident with their gate. I did like how he turns to Tilk. And says, and says, you know, when you dial a phone and then he turned and didn't he say something like, like wrong person to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Tilt really didn't talk that much in this episode. No, all he does is like want to go fight to find them. That's it. yeah. Strong, silent type. So right. did you like Daniel in this episode? He doesn't talk about Chare. He solves he the problem. To. He wanted to. <laughs> uh did i like daniel i didn't dislike him <laughs> it's an improvement so we're back in the ice cave and carter's digging up through through the ice tunnel and comes out on the tundra i was really hoping as she was digging through that there'd just be like a five-year-old skier go by. <laughs> I was waiting for like an elf to show up or some kind of alien thing. I also would have been happy if there was like a, like a gondola. 
full of 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 Swiss people waving. That would have been awesome. <laughs> so then we're in the control room and we've decided that they're in our Antarctica and they found them and of course they they scramble to start the rescue mission. So those McMurdo people, is that a military facility or a scientific facility? Because they have to tell them what's going on, obviously, right? Just be like, hey, we have some random military officers in a cave in Antarctica. They don't have gear. Can you go get them? There's going to be some questions about that. But they, I mean, I'm sure that's where they got the helicopter from. But how were they on the helicopter? Like, wouldn't you say, go to this location, you are very close, yeah. or would you say, hey, we're, we're flying up from Colorado, can you wait? I think they must have told them to start the search, because then they say, hey, we found them, the people that like zip lined in or whatever, and then later when they, because how, I mean, the flight from Colorado, let's say you boarded a military aircraft immediately, that's still what, 12 hours? Yeah, it's, it's a research facility, it's not military. So they had to have clearance or given them clearance to like brief them on what was going on. It probably wouldn't take very long. You just got to tell them you're going to have two dead bodies soon if you don't let us do this, right? Yeah, I think they told McMurdo to go do it. I don't think they told them to wait for them. Yeah, I think that they probably, they didn't say anything about the gate. They just said, we have two people who've fallen into a crevasse near you. Here's the coordinates, right? But, and this is the scene that we're about to get into, when they were are rappelling down and they're like we found them and then all of a sudden they're on the stretcher they wouldn't have left them on the stretcher and waited for everybody to show up you know what i mean it's just like a maybe they took a like a what is it a, like a concord jet or a teleported it's a pretty long flight even just the in air time assuming there's no bad weather you have to navigate through I mean, I'm just, maybe it took them a while. Maybe they knew the coordinates, but because it's in a crevasse, they, it took them, let's say it took them like 10 hours to reach them. Mm-hmm. And then once they reach them, they, maybe, so maybe they sent in medical personnel to attend to them before they could move them. And that took a couple of hours because yeah. they were, they, they like, you know, repelled in. I don't see how they, they, they had to make some kind of arrangement to take them out because you can't take them out in stretchers about, they had to like set up some way to get them out. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things. I'm just saying. I mean, I I definitely don't think that they all fit on that helicopter because it was like Daniel and Tilk in their big red <laughs> snowsuits, and then Hammond's there too. It's like, do you guys get a huge bus? <laughs> Where did all these people come from? And their little little space or the space little cold suits too. Yeah, that's definitely a two helicopter party. Yeah. But I did like how uh, Carter, before they get rescued and she's talking to O'Neill, this is like my favorite scene, right? Just, it's so ridiculous. But when she's talking to O'Neill and she's like, it's an ice planet. I was like, oh, honey, this is such narrow thinking. (laughs) So Carter falls down. And slides back down all the way to O'Neill. And I believe she hits her head at some point because she did have some abrasions. The music changes and she snuggles up to O'Neill, which I agree, this is very shipper, this part. He calls her Sarah because of course he's dying, hallucinating from hypothermia. She pretends briefly to be Sarah and they've- She calls him Jack. Yes, they snuggle (laughs) up to die. I know, so sad. 
And it feels like when two people are stranded on a, a, like a dinghy out in the middle of the ocean and one of the people kills the other person and eats them. And then the rescue helicopter comes. It's like, okay. And you're like picking your teeth. <laughs> and the rescue is like, we're here. She couldn't have kept fighting. You think she was going to eat him? No, I think she was, she was ready to die. I think she was like, we're going to die here together. Yeah. I don't no? think she's going to be in here. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think she was going to eat. No, no, I'm not saying I, it's an analogy. It's an analogy of the rescue helicopter coming a minute too late. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> there, because she would have kept living. You know what I mean? Like she still had sterno, which is what she took with her when she was supposed to pack out of there. You know what I mean? She, they still had some supplies, but she was like, I'm done. Yeah. We're going to die and we'll die together, which was very romantic, but <laughs> hold on Carter hold on <laughs> because everybody is coming to save you even Hammond even Hammond who didn't have to wear the snowsuit he got like looked real nice and cozy I definitely want that one the next time I go somewhere cold so I understand that you two find this very shippy and I appreciate that, but I still contend that if this was, if we switched Carter with Daniel, almost the exact same things would have happened. Maybe not, you know, Carter laying down to die with O'Neill. Daniel would have like rolled over and died on his own, no snuggling. <laughs> but I think almost everything would have been the same because I think this is about colleagues and best friends and teammates not lovers you are so wrong <laughs> i think you very well articulated the anti-shipper point of view but you're just wrong it's about people who love each other being all lovey with each other if we if us three were in an ice cave i would snuggle with you guys and i would probably make dick jokes you know <laughs> i would make dick jokes and I would say it was an honor working with you. I would say, you know. I, I believe that. <laughs> but I don't believe that of RDF uh, Jack, though. First of all, they should have been naked, though. You're right, because that's the best way to share body heat. Mm-hmm. And Sam knows that. Or at least, like, taken off the outer layers mm-hmm. and, like, put made it into a blanket so that they could snuggle underneath. But yeah, no, I think it's like one of those things where, yeah, like maybe the mechanics would have been the same with a different colleague because they would have had to do the same thing of, like, working together to survive but it seemed to me that this being stuck in this environment really grew this connection between them that then blossoms into more intense feelings and this is the beginning of like before this I feel like it was just like hey she's hot and like maybe it was just an attraction and this really felt like it congealed into something more intense so I I do understand one aspect of the anti-shipper movement and that is that this fear that Carter will now become Jack's girlfriend and she's only, her character will just be the girlfriend. But isn't that a sexist way of thinking that, uh, that once you're someone's girlfriend, you are just like an extension of them? That is a very sexist way of thinking, but it's what writers think. Right, especially male writers. Yes, and that's what we have here. I'm not saying that I don't want them together. I'm just saying that this episode did not, for me, lend itself to a budding romance. 
To me, it felt like it took a big leap forward in the intimacy level of their relationship. Because they were, they had hypothermia. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Here's the thing. And I'm not saying that this would happen, but if Tilk was on this planet and O'Neill said, I'm shivering, I'm going to die without your body heat, Tilk would have pulled off his clothes (laughs) and wrapped him up in his big muscular arms and saved him from hypothermia. I'm not anti-shipper. I'm just saying this is not the the full-on shipper thing that that I was led to believe it was going to be. I expected at least like a kiss, but okay, it's fine. Clearly we and Sam have to do a better job of indoctrinating you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so how many chevrons would you give this? Sam, what's your rating? Seven chevrons. (laughs) Sorry, I know. I, I always love this episode. I love Carter and uh, O'Neill's intimacy. And I, I do believe that this is the start to a long journey of, of Sam and Jack. What about you, Rose? I'm going to give it an eight. My first ever eight. <laughs> Sam is laughing. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength here. I love, this is one of my favorite episodes of the whole series. I think it's like ground zero ship of the, of the ship. And I like, I think it's really well done. Like, it, yeah, it could have been like sort of tawdry and more like kissy, but I think it, they really did a good job of like building up that intimacy while still keeping them in character and making them act the way that they would act in character. I think it also closed a couple of the plot holes we've had throughout the season with the whole like second Stargate and made some things make more sense. The, the whole Daniel figuring out is a little bit of a stretch, but I'm willing to overlook it. And I just overall really love this episode, so... Well, unfortunately, I will not be bowed to peer pressure. <laughs> I give it four because I thought it was really boring, but I, I up it to a 4.5 because the last scene where everybody is in this huge, everybody's in the ice cave, <laughs> putting uh, Carter on the stretcher in their little ice outfits was phenomenal. I laughed through the whole thing. I thought it was terrific. So I had it a 0.5. What was so good about the last scene? I don't know. It just like pulled everything. Like it was like, it was a slog to get to this part. This quick cutting. It was just like back and forth and back and forth. And I was just like, I don't understand these two girls telling me that this is a shipper episode and it's so phenomenal. And just wait till you see it. I was just like, this is a throwaway episode. And then the last scene was like... I just couldn't stop laughing. It was hilarious. Stop talking up episodes. We're setting too high expectations. You are. You you ruined it. If I had no expectations, I might be giving it like a five. (laughs) So if this was made today, what changes would you think the writers would make? I think if they intended for there to be a romance, they would have just gone for it. Yeah, I think the days of subtlety are over in in that regard. They would have like had sex on ice. (laughs) And then like, then there would have been a whole like fallout of that over the next season. Yeah, wasn't it? It was uh, X-Files also did this where it was like a slow burn for years. years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't see that anymore. And then they had a baby, right? On the Mm X-Files. 
and they never the thing about the ex was so annoying is they built up this sexual tension for eight fucking years and then all of a sudden they have a baby and you never actually get to see them together i'm like at least give us a sex scene the how the baby got there what would you change the whole thing <laughs> just make a different episode and put it on the air <laughs> She wants fucking. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. I, d- I don't want to see somebody who's clearly on the brink of death trying to hump his subordinate. I don't want to see that. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for listening to another episode with us of Probing the Wormhole. Next week, we're going to be talking about episode 18, Tin Man. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. when she calls him MacGyver. She's stuck on a ice cave with MacGyver or something like that. You spent seven years on MacGyver and you can't figure this one out? We, we got belt buckles and shoelaces and a piece of gum. Build a nuclear reactor for crying out loud. You used to be MacGyver, McGadget, McGimmick. Now you're Mr. McUseless. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> stuck on a glacier with MacGyver. <laughs> Like us and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Even if you don't like us, you can still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Probing the Wormhole, on Twitter at Probing Wormhole. Also visit us on our website, probingthewormhole.com. Thank you.